This is Sermon Smith, a bi-weekly conversation about the craft of sermon preparation, and my name is John Chandler. Welcome back. Had a little bit of an unintended hiatus, had a few scheduling snafus with a few different guests, so our bi-weekly podcast became about a five-weekly podcast. I don't know how you would say that. A quinta? I'll just move on. My guest today is David Rice. David is a pastor of Markey Church, which is in northern Michigan where he's served since 2014. David is actually someone I shared a few classes with in grad school, so it's going to be fun in this conversation to reconnect with him. Our partner today is Logos Bible Software. I am a big fan of Logos, as I've made no secret about many times, and I've seen uh, just from some support that's come back from them that there have been listeners to the podcast that have purchased Logos. So thanks so much for supporting the, the podcast and the work we're doing in that way. If you're interested in learning more about Lagos or maybe buying Lagos as well as supporting the podcast, you can go to lagos.com slash sermonsmith. You'll find a coupon code there that'll get you 15% off any base package, and then a portion of that will also come back to the podcast. So thanks so much to those of you who have used that, and if you're considering it, would appreciate it if you would do the same. All right, all that said, let's move on to our conversation with David Wright. So tell us... Uh, Tell us about where you are. Tell us you're at Markey Church in Roscommon, Michigan. So tell us about that. Yeah, so um, Roscommon, Michigan. So if, when you live in Michigan, you get to do this great thing. So uh, you get to hold up uh, your right hand right. and palm facing out, right? So that's the Lower Peninsula, Michigan. Um, Roscommon is kind of right in the, the middle of your middle finger. So it's sort of the middle finger of Michigan, some people like to say. Yes. Um, but no, so we, we're a, the area that we're in is a rural resort area. Um, so there's lots of lakes, two, two lakes in particular that are massive, that in the summertime are overrun with people and vacationers. Um, and then uh, lots of farmland and lots of state-owned forests. So it's, it's we call it rural resort. We see a large influx of people in the summer, and then we see a large exodus in the winter. Um, the church, Markey Church, uh, we're a part of the American Baptist denomination, American okay. Baptist Churches USA, um, which, uh, and I, I, I didn't have any affiliation with ABC before I started at Markey Church. My parents, ironically enough, my parents actually met in an ABC church in Southern California um, when they were in their 20s. Uh, and I have an uncle that was an ABC pastor in the Los Angeles area. But other than that, I didn't grow up in an ABC church, kind of fell into this. Um, the great thing about being Baptist is local autonomy. So, sure. you know, every expression of a local church in ABC that I've seen always looks different from the next one, uh, which has its, you know, there's there's uh, great things about that. And then there's things that uh, make make some working together a bit difficult sometimes. But Markey Church were uh, uh, kind of, I don't know, I don't know, it's it's funny to talk about. We're kind of larger for our area, but we are by no means a large church. We're a few hundred people, mm-hmm. and um, but for our area, that's like a massive, massive church, uh, which has, again, been interesting for me to step into. I've worked into sort of mega churches in my life with several thousand people. So it's been interesting to step into a much smaller church. We're over a hundred years old. Uh, we, we are a, a very landed church. We own a bunch of acreage and farmland. Uh, even when I've looked back in our history, even there's even a, one of the first pastors in the twenties, uh, the church didn't have any money to pay this guy. So they actually paid him in sheep. 
Um, <laughs> and he was a he was a sheep farmer. That's the first um, time this has been said on this podcast. Oh well, that's fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> um, I yeah I thought maybe it was a trend in the twenties, headed into the depression or something. But so he said, no, 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 you don't need to pay me a salary. Just pay me in sheep. I'll raise sheep. Um, and so we, you know, our our history, our legacy is. We're a, we're a faith community that's connected to our land. Um, we're surrounded by farmland. Uh, and shortly after I got here, not not really because of me, through some people in my church, we actually started a small working farm. And we're still figuring out that. We run a CSA off of it and grow food and feed people. And uh, so we have a lot of dreams for that. But yeah, we are we are a community-minded uh, sort of local church in a very rural area um, that's been around for over 100 years. That I mean, this might be, I, I really try to mix up the kinds of people, especially the context they come from. This might be the, you might be one of the first ones I've had that comes from this rural of a setting, you know, and yeah. that, so it's it'll be a unique a unique place for sure. I, I would imagine, and I so tell me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm both in terms of the community itself and then as well as Markey Church, that it's got a lot of rootedness, a lot of long-term families. Would that be the case or is, it, is there yep. much turnaround at all? Um, not much. The the One of the unique challenges of being in a rural area, at least our rural area, is a fairly weak local economy. Um, so when the, the state or the national economy tanks, generally uh, rural areas are one of the places that gets hit the worst. Uh, so when the economy tanked in 08, if you were younger and needed work, uh, you you had to leave. You had to move to a city. Yeah. Um, the, the businesses around here, they survive on three or four months worth of business or really three months, basically Memorial Day to Labor Day weekend because we're a summer economy. They survive there. You make your money um, in about three or four months' time every summer. Uh, so because of all that, because there's not a lot of industry, um, there's not a lot of jobs, there's not a lot of economic development, there's a lot of poverty. Hmm. And it's a lot of – it's interesting because I know at least during my 20s living – in an urban area and in a very diverse area as an evangelical Christian at sort of a progressive evangelical school going to seminary, um, you know, kind of urban multi-ethnic poverty and justice around issues having to do with uh, economic development and race relations and all of this. Um, it, it was pretty popular to, to sort of dive into that stuff. What we never talked about in Seattle though, was white rural poverty. Hmm. Um, and and I would go as far as to say it's like the least the least sexy kind of poverty sure. uh, that I've come across in in my church pastor circles. So, uh, and I know it is for me too. You know, I I grew up in a rural area in southern Michigan, um, and so in some ways, where I live now is the exact place that I was so happy to get away from when I turned eighteen and moved to college. Yeah, um, it's not where I expected to come back to. So, are you? Have you had to work? You, I know you've been there. For, I don't know if I've said this, but you, you've been there for two years. Just about two. It'll be two years in May. Yeah. Have you had to overcome any kind of sense that you're an outsider coming in, or because there's enough flow for the resort part? Is are people used to that? Yeah, it's it's both and. So, I mean, there are. This isn't the majority of the people in our church. There are people in our church who are in their 
60s, 70s. Um, they've lived in our county their entire lives. They've lived on the same piece of property their whole lives. Mm-hmm. They've come to this church their whole life. Um, and, you know, to them, anyone, you know, someone like me will always be an outsider. Um, my predecessor, who I replaced a gentleman that was here for 33 years when I wow. came on, he retired. So 33 years, he was still seen as an outsider by some folks. Um, because he wasn't from here. He was from suburban Detroit, uh, which a lot of people who live here, um, the, you know, the other side of that coin is a lot of people who live where I live are from the Detroit area. And you can kind of trace the decline of the white part of Detroit and the white flight of Detroit, um, not only to the suburban areas around Detroit, but also to kind of the up north areas uh, where so many people around here um, grew up in Detroit and as adults moved out of the city ending up out here. Hmm. Uh, if you work for the Department of Natural Resources, there's a good chance you live in parts of the state like where I live because there's lots of state managed forests. So it's it's just a really uh it's it's a very unique area. It's very different than I uh whatever ever saw myself be in and I feel like culturally I feel like an outsider um most of the time and not in these sort of um hopeless kind of a ways, but just like, yeah, you know, I, I'm not the typical 34 year old male that lives here. You know, um, most people where I live don't have a college education, let alone a, a graduate education. Um, uh, you know, most people where I live shoot guns and ride snowmobiles and I don't do either of those things. Although I'm not opposed to those things. It's just sure. not the culture I grew up in. So, um, so yeah, it's it's weird. So I would say about half our people uh, are kind of not from this area, and the other half are, are really from this area. Um, but they 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 play well together. Um, they get along pretty well. So, so I'd be curious. I mean, I'm I'm about to go into my one of my normal questions here, which is sure. what is the role of preaching in Markey Church? And yeah, with that, I mean, I'm already thinking about having a little bit of a sense of being an outsider or people seeing you as a little bit of an outsider, I wonder what that even means for what you preach or the kinds of sermons yeah. you preach or how preaching fits in. So talk about that some. Yeah, no, that, and that's, um, you know, that's been one of my greatest joys and probably one of my greatest challenges is to figure out how to preach in this context. Cause again, I'm, um, the decade prior to moving to this area, I lived in larger cities in urban areas that were mostly middle, upper middle class white folks, uh, highly educated people like me. Um, some uh, most of my church experience and my theological education happened in those environments. Uh, so I learned how to how to uh, teach and talk about God in those sorts of environments. So. I've had to learn how to do a lot of translation work in my current environment um, because this is not um, urban Fort Wayne, Indiana, urban Seattle, Washington, or urban Grand Rapids, Michigan, the cities I've lived in. Um, The role of preaching here, I mean, we are uh, a sort of a typical evangelical church where um, we're slightly atypical in a few components of what we do on Sunday morning, but the sermon is generally still the centerpiece of what we do. Um, you know, in my, when I was in sort of graduate school mode, if you were to ask me, 
um, the strongest feelings I had around church. Like I remember someone asking us once, uh, was probably Shelley in a, in a theology class, you know, if what needs to happen at church in order for you to feel like church happened, uh, if you were to nail down on one or two things. And for me at the time it was Eucharist. I mean, yeah. um, you've had Phil Nellis on this podcast before. Phil's my friend and he was my pastor in Seattle. And we'd celebrate, celebrate at our Baptist church, Whitson Church in Seattle, we'd celebrate Eucharist every week. So that became really central to me here. Uh, this is a very post-Catholic area. And so anything that smells like Catholicism, um, people have a hard time transcending and including those things in their current expressions of faith. And we're working on that. But um it's it's been interesting, uh, you know. We so we we sing together, um, and I I teach or preach every Sunday. We do a few things uh, like we do pray together. We have a, we call it prayers of the people, um, and there's different ways that we do that. But we're pretty deliberate about, or I'm pretty deliberate about wanting to teach people how to pray on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And so I really walk through. This is what prayer is. Uh, you don't have to say the right, there's no right way to say stuff. Here's a few examples of, of how to pray and how we're going to do this today. Um, so really trying to take on the role of uh, even teaching people how to pray on Sunday morning. Um, and then when I first started here almost two years ago, I, I started by teaching through the gospel text of the lectionary, um, which personally I loved and I connected with. Uh, but again, to this context, uh, felt very Catholic. Yeah, I bet. Um, so, uh, and I didn't get a ton of pushback people, you know, when you're, when you're starting a new church, you're in your honeymoon phase, people are generally just kind of curious and they're a little more open, but about seven or eight months in, I started, uh, and I'd never done this before, uh, cause I'd never been a, a preaching pastor in a church before prior to this, I started teaching in series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's what I've done now for a little over a year. And I usually do four to four to six, four to eight, eight weeks at the absolute most, usually four to six week series. Um, and try to, try to, um, really mix it up. Do, and again, this is not a, an original idea on my part at all, but, uh, do a series that has more to do with kind of our life in God. And then, um, the next time do a series that has more to do with sort of our life in the world that, that might be a bit more focused on relationships and interpersonal stuff. So I try to go back and forth between those two. Typically thematic then, not necessarily a, a, a short series in Ephesians or something like that. But thematic. I haven't yet, although yeah. I am going to do one in uh, Philippians later on in the spring, and I'm really excited about that. Um, but yeah, typically thematic. Uh, like in January, I did a series about the Bible and really about what it means to interpret, to read scripture, to interpret it and live it out. I called it the word on the street. So, you know, yeah, these are very thematic series. I, I'm a, um, I'm an ideas guy and I love theory and philosophy and theology and I live in my head a lot. The, the hardest thing for me in this context is I have to work and I've had to work really hard to take all that and make it very concrete. Yeah. Uh, very concrete, much more concrete than I um, generally go to. So um, that's been my work probably for the past years. How do I take these ideas that make me really excited, um, but don't don't necessarily make sense to uh, these people that I'm loving and serving here? So, so how do you how do you put those themes together? Like how do you decide? Like how far in advance do you plan those, and how do you decide what you're going to do? Yeah. Um, 
I generally map out my sermon series like um, six to nine months in advance, something like that. Um, and I, I get my, my themes together. Um, I map out kind of the topic week by week uh, for however long the series is going to be. Um, and then that's about it. I generally leave it there until a few weeks out. Um, and there, I mean, there are certainly times, depending on what else is going on, where I'm not really hashing it out until the week of and, and really work, working through. Um, if, if I'm, if I'm learning to take care of myself well and I'm working ahead like I want to be, then I, I have a basic a basic outline sort of sketched out for each week of each series. The way I develop the themes uh, really is just by uh, – and this – I don't know. This almost sounds grandiose to me. I just try to listen to what's going on in our community, to our people. What are the things – so this Word on the Street series I did in January about the Bible – really came about because I kept having conversations with people. Uh, they kept bringing up um, the book of Revelation and uh, how generally how evangelicals have interpreted and interpreted quite, quite badly interpreted the book of Revelation. And I was just realizing like, wow, there's a lot of people in my church that really have no idea how to read the Bible. Um, they, um, I mean, they read the Bible, um, but they – they they don't really get the the large sort of thematic structure of what's happening in scripture uh god sort of moving everything toward the renewal and restoration of all things um they're you know so, so not a lot of my people but several of them are really were really caught up in kind of the left behind version of of reading the book of revelation and um which is really normal for in the evangelical world but uh yeah just wanting to to talk about how we read the Bible. Let's talk about how we read the Bible. Um, and let's spend a few weeks doing that. And let's really focus in on kind of what is the story God is telling through scripture and what does that have to do with your story and your life? And how do you let the Bible read you? Uh, things of that sort. So I really, I really just try to listen to where people are at, what people are wrestling with or what I see we as a community are really working through next. So there was a season last fall. We, we, um, there's just a lot of conflict in our church because of changes we were making, uh, to, to our structure and to the direction we were headed. Uh, I did a, I did a sermon series on grief, um, grief and loss and pain. And, you know, I, I saw a handful of people really just acting up, um, so they didn't know how to grieve and they didn't know how to really own the loss they were feeling. And the only way they knew how to express it publicly was through anger. Um, so we talked about Psalms of Lament, we talked about the Book of Lamentations, and we looked at scripture and just sort of said, you know, God invites us to feel pain and to feel loss. And that if you feel those things, that's not a bad thing. That's actually part of what it means to be human made in the image of God, um, that you're invited to feel all those feelings and that God is with you in those feelings. So generally speaking, that's how I develop sermon series is trying to pay attention to what's happening on the ground in the lives of people here. And it's, uh, I mean, it sounds like even though you talk about six to eight months out, it, when you're only going four to six weeks at a time, you have enough agility where you can say, uh, you know what, next month I need to change it because we need to talk about yeah. grief or, or whatever that yeah. might be. What do you do with those ideas? I mean, you said you're a guy who lives in your head. I'm the same way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, do you, what do you do with those ideas? Like, where do you capture them so that come six to eight months down the road or, you know, when you're getting ready to look further ahead, yeah. you can go back to some of the things you've been kicking around? 
I mean, I, I keep an Evernote file yeah. and I just, when I have ideas, I just throw them all in there. And so when it, when it comes time for me to, to sort of map out, um, like for instance, I was doing this earlier this week, I had a six week period in mid May to mid June, mid May to late June, um, that I still hadn't figured out what I was going to teach on. I had the summer covered. I, I had up until the fall covered. It's all mapped out on my calendar. But um, I had something in that time slot, and we ended up moving it to late, late, late fall instead. So I had the six weeks. Um, and, yeah, just uh, was spending some time on Monday or Tuesday really trying to to lean in on, okay, in the in the life cycle of our church, that's the tail end of the school year. Uh, school here gets out in the middle of June. Wow. Um, so people are right on the cusp of summer. Um, we have a lot of, uh, we call them snowbirds, people that go to Florida for the winter. A lot of people coming back from, retired folks that come back from Florida uh, for the sun. They spend their summers up here. So we have an influx of people starting in early May. So just thinking about that rhythm. Okay, mid-May, we, we've got in that six-week span, we have Mother's Day and we have Father's Day. Um this is sort of the what's going to be happening in the life of our church right then. And I knew that the sermon series right before then uh, was very sort of um, relational about taking responsibility for your life. And then I knew the sermon series after that for the summer is about um, emotionally healthy spirituality uh, that I'm tag teaming with one of my colleagues. And so I wanted uh, a series kind of sandwiched in between those two. Uh, that that really dove more directly into Scripture. So this will be the first time in that time slot I'm going to go through the book of Philippians, which I generally don't go through books of the Bible that way. But I, I um, yeah, I wanted to make sure it was something different than what we were coming off of and what we were headed into. Yeah. Um, and frankly, you know, we, we have enough, uh, how do I say this? We have enough sort of old school, typical evangelicals that um, anytime you talk about, quote-unquote, the Bible, they pay attention. And so if I can talk about the Bible and speak, I'll speak about it in a language that they get and I build some trust there, then, then they're willing to go with me when I talk about things like grief and pain and loss because uh, that's not the language that they generally speak in church. Right. I think most of us uh, uh, generally don't talk about, at least in the evangelical world, talk about grief and pain and loss in church very well or very easily. So um, a lot of what I do in my preaching is, is a uh, build trust. Um, I try to be really vulnerable with people. I try to really be uh, just show myself in really deliberate ways and try to build some trust there so that we can go into some more painful places as a community. Yeah. And how's that? Well, I'm, uh, I should say I'm commenting on this. I hope your voice doesn't give out on us. We'll keep at it. Sometimes, no, no, no. sometimes I'll talk for a minute just to let you take a sip like you are right now. <laughs> we'll keep you going. <laughs> um, how, how well are you, how much are you finding it's helpful or do you not even have the conversation partners within the church to talk through? Because even before we started, you talked about leadership development, right? So I, obviously, yeah. I assume you have an elder board, the people who hired you. But yep, yep. Uh, how how much do you have conversation partners to even talk through some of these plans for what's coming up and maybe even uh, build a little momentum towards those topics? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not as much as I, I would want, but it's it's there enough that it that it really does work. I am. Um, we we have we call them a council of elders. So I have four elders, uh, two men and two women that technically I answer to. Um, 
And what the one of the best parts, the greatest joys about my work here is that myself and those four people were were generally on the same page with pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. And even though we we um we come from very different backgrounds, different um, ways of seeing things, they're just very very supportive people. And um, I often think like I don't know if I could step into a church um, that feels so culturally different. Uh, to, to sort of where I've come from if I didn't have this level of support from these key leaders. So um, so some of it is with them, bouncing some ideas off of them. I mean, I have a few, I definitely have a few staff that I bounce ideas off of too, um, uh, my worship leader a bit, and then um, a few other key staff people here. Um, I have an administrative assistant and I'll bounce stuff off of her. Um, uh, there's a, a one of my colleagues, she kind of handles the programming end of our zero to 18 crowd um, programming and logistics. And she's a great one to bounce ideas off of. Um, So I have a few key people that I bring things to. Um, But yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, it's generally me um, sitting at my desk, hashing stuff out. Um, And uh, I, I have, I have fantasies of like having a liturgy guild or something like that, you know, some sort of team of people. Um, And I do have one other uh, person, a woman in my church. She used to be our associate pastor about 10 years ago. She served for 10 years as an associate pastor here and she actually went back to school. Now she's a therapist and runs her private practice out of our building. So she generally teaches if I'm not here on a Sunday. Um, she's really, she's very good. She's really great at that. So her and I work together on some of that too. So her and I will be kind of tag teaming uh, a series this summer all about um, emotionally healthy spirituality, which is, uh, I think the guy, the guy's name is Peter Scazzaro. Yeah, I want to say. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're going to be teaching through that content. And I do this from time to time too. Every sermon series I develop is not uh, necessarily the, my own content that I'm coming up with. I would say, I don't know, a quarter of the time, perhaps a quarter of the time I'm finding content from other sources too. So we're using Scazzaro stuff this summer. I've used a couple and all of this has been super helpful to be honest. A couple last fall, I did a teaching series uh, from Andy Stanley at North Point community church called starting point. Um, Starting point is really about what it looks like to have faith as an adult for people that um, believed in God as a kid, but have kind of walked away from faith or belief or just kind of got life got busy and they stopped going to church. Um, so starting points, actually a small group curriculum, but, um, uh, Andy taught through it as a sermon series six or seven years ago, something like that at their church. So I taught through it and now we're running it as an ongoing small group experience for people. Uh, we have a lot of, a lot of unchurched people where we live. Um, and, What's interesting about where I live, it's a lot of unchurched people that still have a framework to understand what it looks like to have a kind of a a God-centered view of the world. Like this is not, maybe this isn't fair, but where I live, it is not a post-modern kind of a culture. We are very, very much still a modern culture. Mm -hmm. Sometimes those categories aren't helpful, but what I found here is uh, even if you don't go to church, you believe in God. Like that's sort of how everyone, everyone more or less seems to be where I live. Uh, so I try to build off of that in my, in my teaching. I try to build off of that with things like starting point. Um, 
when it comes to re-engaging people with the story of God. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk, uh, let's talk nitty gritty then about, you know, a given sermon within a series, you know, you've got four to six weeks mapped out. Uh, I'm looking at your uh, website right now. So I see you've, you're doing five things God uses to grow your faith. So yeah. I imagine that's a five week series. <laughs> it was a, that's a, that's a, it was actually a six week series. Oh my um, yeah. And that, that one. And so we're in the middle of that. That's, that's the series we're doing for Lent. That's also an Andy Stanley series that we're um, twice a year. We run, uh, we run these time bound small groups. Uh, we call them connect groups. So uh, we we help people form groups for six to eight weeks, and they meet in groups uh, to sort of dig deeper into what we're working through as a church on Sunday morning. Um, and so just a, a small group with a, a bit of formation to it. So everyone's kind of on the same page, going through the same content and dealing with the same ideas at the same time. So that's what we're doing for Lent. Um, so with that one, uh, I, I literally have an outline from North Point, um, which I generally look over and then I uh, usually kind of throw away and start fresh. If I'm using content from someone else, um, I just use it as, as a, as a springboard, uh, sort of a place to begin. Um, and then I, I work to contextualize what, what the ideas are to, uh, my people here, and I work in my own illustrations, stories from my own life. Um, because although it, it's, it's sometimes, to be perfectly honest, getting content from someone else uh, that I then build upon is is usually more work for me than developing something all by myself. Sure. Um, but sometimes I choose to use content from other folks and build off of that because the content I find really connects with my crowd here. Um, cause it's very, very, very concrete content. So, um, it's a lot easier to talk about like practical ways your faith grow or practical ways your faith grows than it is to, uh, talk about what it looks like to grieve the losses in your life. Um, so anyway, yeah. And then you, uh, you were saying before we kind of got broken up that when you don't have one of those, you just start with a blank, blank screen. So talk about that. You're, you're opening up a word processing document on your screen and just going from there. How's that work? Yeah. I usually, I usually start in Evernote or I start at a, at a whiteboard or big sticky notes on my wall. Um, and I just, I, I start to, to write down what I see are the, the big themes or the big ideas um, and, and try to essentially create how one will flow from one week to the next and land on my four or six, four or five or six or seven weeks of uh, kind of topics that way. Uh, and then that all gets put into an Evernote file. Um, if I have some supporting, uh, I try to come up with, with like a kind of a big idea underneath that theme. Like here's the one thing I'm sort of trying to say with this theme. Um, so I try to come up with that one big idea. Uh, and then if I'm doing really well and, and working ahead, these, these are in my, in my better months, uh, then I can even hash it out a bit further. Sometimes I'll make lists of, uh, from week within that document from week to week at some resources that I, that I make notes to myself to look into for prep. Um, 
you know, check out this book or look at this commentary. Um, uh, just try to make some notes to myself so that when I'm ready to uh, write the thing for that given week, um, I'm just a, a bit more ahead of the game. So, And that's always an Evernote, so you can grab it from anywhere and add those thoughts. Yeah. And I, yeah, I've really, man, I'm still, it seems like every week I'm learning more about how to use Evernote. Um, but I really, really enjoy using Evernote for, uh, for my work here. Um, yeah. Cause I have it on my phone. I have it on my computer. It's, it's just very, very helpful. And then on the, so in that sermon in, in putting those together, talking about big ideas, what does your process look like for, uh, determining even central text to preached on? Because obviously that's one of the challenges, at least for me, when I do thematic yeah. is, I, you know, I have this idea and I want to, it's not like I just want to squeeze a text into it. So what, how's that work for you to, to discern that? Yeah, no, um, I mean, it, it, it probably looks different every single time, to tell you the truth. Uh, I'm trying to think now. Uh, you know, sometimes I, I just, you know, I have a really clear idea of what a text will be. Uh, when I was doing this, the sermon series on grief and loss, I, um, you know, dove right into Psalms of Lament um, and just started to read those. I started to read commentaries on Psalms. I started to look at books that had to do with um, lament and grief, particularly through the lens of Scripture. And then, you know, through that kind of research, uh, find, found I think each week during that series found a psalm to sort of hone in on. Um, but sometimes, yeah, it it seems like it's different every time. Sometimes, um, I'll have a book or a resource that I'm, that I'm looking through. So for instance, when I taught a series about the Bible recently, um, I, I, one book that I found super helpful, uh, was the blue parakeet by Scott McKnight, um, uh, about uh, how to read scripture. And so I took a lot of my, uh, if I remember correctly, I took a lot of my biblical text and cues from which uh, text to use from some different things Scott said in that book, um, and then would uh, as I as I put the, that four week series together, um, you know, would sort of match up a, a biblical text with whatever theme I thought it fit together uh, with the best. So, yeah, you know, I, one thing I think about often, John, to, to be honest, is like I still feel really new at this whole preaching thing. Yeah. Um, even, even though I've done it in, in a variety of contexts over the years, you know, this role is the first time I've done it um, way too many weeks a year. Um, you know, I'm, I'm probably preaching like 45, 46 weeks a year, which uh, feels a little crazy to me, but that's kind of the reality of being in a small church is you don't have the luxury of, um, in a small church like mine, you don't have the luxury of passing it off to a teaching team um, and really pulling out those 20 awesome sermons a year. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a reality and it's a, it's, it's frankly, it's a challenge um, to produce content that's helpful that you, that you believe God is involved in um, and to do the other things that need to happen throughout the week. So. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, so when you're, I mean, I, I, you say that, but uh, there's uh, there's a part of me that wonders if you ever totally get past that, you know, like even sure. there's certainly people who get to preach far less than that and spend more time on it and still feel probably some of the same pressures, I would think. I know I certainly do. I mean, I only preach about 
two thirds of the time, I think for us. And yeah. I mean, I feel like every once in a while, I just have to remind myself on uh, Thursday or Saturday, say, man, I, I just need something. I just need something solid to say that I think will be beneficial to our people. Like I don't have to hit this grand slam home run every time, you know, that's going to blow everybody away. I just want to make sure I have something to say, but yeah, you're right. Especially when you do it every week, it's harder to even feel like you have something to say, but that's the bottom line for me. Like when I wake up on Sunday morning, it's, I feel like I have something to say today. I'll be okay. You know what I mean? (laughs) So no, and that's, I'm, I'm floundering through this one. So that's a, that's a really good, um, that's a really good way to put it. I mean, even in my own development over the past couple of years, I found myself early on and it was when, and it, it's not the lectionary's fault, but it's when I was using the lectionary more. Um, I felt like I was trying to communicate three to four big ideas with every sermon. Hmm. And I've, I'm to a point now where I, I work pretty hard to say one thing and to just unpack it in a few different ways in one sermon. Um, and and again, that's not that's not an idea I came up with. I know I've picked that up from other preachers, but just trying to have that one thing I'm trying to say. Um, and there are times like all all it'll be Sunday morning. I'm in my office, sort of um, making sure everything's in place for what for our gathering. And there's certainly times where I'm like, man, I have so little to say today. Um, you know, I sort of feel like I could say this in five minutes. Um, and there are certainly times uh, where where my my teaching is shorter than than other weeks, but um, you know, I, I I sort of go through a process where I try to make it very personal too. I try to connect things um, with people's lives very specifically because uh, I I mean I hold the stories of these people. I know what's going on in some of their lives and some of the completely heartbreaking things that are happening. So without getting into specific detail on Sunday morning, I really try to connect what, what I hear the spirit of God communicating through the story of scripture with people's lives, and then also connect my life to that too. Um, But yeah, really it's been a lot of, it's taken a lot of discipline for me to begin to learn how to like say one thing um, and just to say it in several different ways and hopefully connect with several different kinds of people because of that. Yeah. Well, uh, we we rabbit trailed off a bit, but uh, so I'll, I'll circle us back. But yeah. so you, um, as you're putting all these pieces together, then what does it look like for you to actually put the outline together? Like, do you tend to have like you just now? You talked about that one thing, which is hugely beneficial. Uh, mm-hmm. But do you have a typical structure then that you follow week to week, or is it just more? Let's start to see how these ideas flow that I've been capturing. Yeah, I am. Um... I, and I've tried different structures. The structure I've been using for several months at this point that I have found really helpful for my own uh, sort of outline development is um, Andy Stanley, Lane Jones, Communicating for a Change, mm-hmm. which is uh, me, we, God, you, we. Um, and that's generally how I my outlines, uh, starting with me, uh, taking that to the we, uh, um, here's what here's what God essentially has to say about those things. Getting more personal with you, and then ending more on the kind of us or we again. Um, for my context here, that helps me keep things very concrete, um, and so that, that's just been a really helpful guide for me. And do you find it helpful, or do you find it so helpful to even like as you start putting together your outline, you just put those 
we we I don't I lost track. I do. Five five or yeah. six pieces. Yeah. Do you put those? In I all? do. I I put them in bold. I I that's what that's the first thing generally that goes on my page. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'm sorry. I'll start at the top. I I usually have a title. Um, below that title title I put a big idea colon and I write out in one sentence what I'm trying to communicate today. Um, and then I do uh, those five words. Um, yeah, I can't even keep track of them. Let's see. <laughs> That's all um, me, we, God, you, we. I uh, type in those five words, and then I begin to uh, put in uh, my first rough draft is just literally dumping in whatever content fits under each of those five words, whether it's scripture, whether it's a personal story, um, big ideas from other research I've done. Uh, sometimes it's historical or background information uh, when it comes to the scripture portion. Uh, so then I get, you know, a, a document with all kinds of rabbit trails and huge pieces of information. And then I just pare it down a ton. Um, and, you know, at least for me, again, I'm the only full-time pastor on staff at my church. Um, which, uh, you know, I, I feel, uh, I love being a full-time pastor for so many reasons. Um, but it also means that I, I'm always juggling 27 different things besides my sermon that's coming up this next weekend. So on the weeks where I am very disciplined and can stick to my schedule, I'm able to uh, work through that outline so like three or four different times throughout the week and really pare it down on the weeks where uh, either things come up un- unexpectedly or regular things take way more time than I expected them to. Um, I write that outline. I look at it one other time during the week and then I'm uh, doing my final edits either Saturday night or Sunday morning, um, which is not how I prefer it, but that's just the reality sometimes of how things go. So, well, I'm sure there's a large portion of the audience who listens to this podcast who can relate to exactly that. So, yeah, and, and that's why I, that's partially why I say that. Um, yeah, I feel like that's like you know eighty or ninety percent of us. So, yeah, yeah. Um, as far as as far as like the Bible, uh, these are some of my favorite questions. Are you a yeah. Bible software guy, or do you have a big giant wall of of reference books. You know, I'm, um, I'm, I'm a both a little bit. I yeah. don't, I don't quite have a big giant wall. I do use Bible software. I, I use, um, Logos, oh. but I, I mean, probably this is, this speaks more to my, um, aptitude with certain types of technology. I, I'm sure I know how to use that program, like only like 2% of that entire program. I'm sure there's plenty of things I don't know how to do. Um, so I use it some. I have uh, NT Wright's For Everyone commentary series on um, my Logos version. And so I, I use those uh, particularly uh, for gospel. If I'm, a, if I'm in a gospel, if my text is in one of the gospels, I think his his commentary on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is, is – and really, uh, you know, the the epistles of Paul too. That's kind of his wheelhouse. Yeah, uh, those are just for me. Again, for my context here, those are just gold uh, because I feel like I could I could hand out I could pass out those for everyone commentaries uh, to most of my folks here, and they would uh, be able to read them and they would understand them, and it would connect with their lives. Um, so I look at those, um, but I also, I mean, I do still uh, if it's certain. Uh, teachings coming up where where I have a commentary that I there's a commentary I need. I generally at this point buy 
um, a physical copy rather than an electronic copy. Um, so I'm, I'm just beginning to prep a series on Philippians. And right now I've been, I just this week picked up, uh, started to look through the, the story of God Bible commentary, which yeah. is a, um, Trimper Longman and Scott McKnight are the general editors of that series. It's a Zondervan publication, mm-hmm. yeah. but, um, so their book on, uh, Philippians, Lynn Kohick, which I don't know. Yeah. She's at Wheaton. I, I've used her Wheaton. stuff for a different, a different commentary and it's really good. Okay. Yeah. And the, I picked the first time I picked up this commentary series was actually McKnight's McKnight. Uh, the first, I think book in the series was a Scott McKnight, a Sermon on the Mount commentary. Yeah. So yeah. just Matthew five, six, and seven. And it's really, really great. Um, I think I found myself in the lectionary early on here. Uh, we, we were working through Matthew and I used uh, McKnight and then I used feasting on the word, um, which I, again, I, I think if, if uh, you're a lectionary preacher and you don't know about feasting on the word, um, you are missing out. It's phenomenal. Um, and, and the thing that feasting on the word does, even if you're not a lectionary preacher, that I think is so great is there's basically four essays for each, you know, for each text. And so there's a homiletical perspective and an exegetical yeah. perspective. And I'm I'm totally losing the other two right now. But it, it's just <laughs> it's between, like a narrative perspective. Yeah, I can't remember either. But between the mixture of it's got both practitioners as well as, you know, academic theologians who are speaking into that. So yeah, I find it really helpful. Yeah. The other, again, when I was more, when I was doing lectionary, I loved, so there are two podcasts I loved. One's called pulpit fiction. Yeah. Uh, uh, That one was, uh, even though the content wasn't everything I wanted to be each week, it was just fun to interact. Again, I'm in a rural area. I don't get to interact with very many pastors too often. So it was just fun to interact with those guys around that. You've interviewed and then, them before on here, actually. Oh, have you really? Oh, fun. yeah. 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 They're, um, they're uh, super nerdy about uh, preaching and, and theology. So I enjoy, I enjoy their stuff. And then I'm, I'm blanking on it now, but um, I want to say uh, an ELCA seminary, Luther Seminary in, in Minneapolis, they do a, a lectionary commentary and podcast um, that I'm blanking on the name. Uh, but it's it's generally a New Testament scholar, an Old Testament scholar, and then some other scholar that talk about the lectionary text for the week. Uh, and they do it, a, a podcast, and it's really, really phenomenal. Huh, I'll have um, to look that one up. Yeah. That I'm familiar with that one. What uh, – what are some other books? I mean, you, you even talked about, you know, when it's time, you're coming up on Philippians, you talked about Story of God. Do you have some go-to commentaries that you always go to first? Like, do you tend towards specific series or more, do you more go towards, you know, specific uh, names you might be familiar with? How do you choose which commentaries you're going to use for an upcoming series? Well, that's a really good question. Um the the only series I generally go to right off the bat is the For Everyone series uh, that yeah. N.T. Wright did most of the New Testament for that and a few other scholars did Old Testament. Other than that, yeah, it's more on, on names or recommendations is kind of how it's been. Um, so also when I was in Matthew, um, uh, Hauerwas has a, a Matthew commentary through – uh, I'm blanking on the, the name of the commentary. It's Brazo, Brazos, I think, published uh, it. Okay. Um, it's a certain commentary. I, I want to say it's it's more narrative in nature. Anyway, or, there's commentary series, rather. Um, but his was really great when I was working through Matthew. Um, uh, you know, you, it's, you get a lot of very bold 
Hauerwasian ideas. I'm sure, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, I mean, the only series I really uh, find myself going back to, at least now, uh, is is the N.T. Wright series. Um, the the podcast uh, from Luther Seminary. It's called Working Preacher. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so working preacher workingpreacher dot org is the website. I don't know. The podcast is called Sermon Brainwave. Um, again, I don't, you know, for, uh, if you're, if you're really in, in on the lectionary stuff, those were always super helpful to me. Um, yeah. And then what are some other, uh, aside from commentaries, reference books, you know, you've mentioned communicating for a change. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some other books that have been helpful for you just in terms of forming the content of your preaching or the character of your preaching or you as a preacher? Yeah. Um, it's hard to narrow it down. Um, I mean, it, I'm, I, I, I read a little bit of a lot of books most of the time, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Um, so it seems like every three to six months I have two to five different uh, books or authors that are really impacting me. So lately it's been, um, uh, uh, Chuck DeGroat, who's a, a um, Chuck teaches out of Western Seminary in Holland, Michigan, which is a RCA seminary. He he's written a, a couple of books on kind of pastoral ministry. Um, the one I've been working through for a couple of months is called Toughest People to Love. Hmm. Uh, that's phenomenal about uh, just how to you know. So I feel like ninety percent of my work as a pastor is, is just working with people who are different than I am. Um, and I, you know, I love to teach. I love preaching. I love all of this, but so much of what I find myself doing is, um, working through conflict with people. Um, and so his, his work has been, uh, great. He just came out with a new book that I haven't looked at yet called wholehearted, which is a theological perspective on some of Brene Brown's work. Um, and and I was going to also mention Brene Brown uh, over the past year has been hugely impactful to me, yeah. uh, specifically as someone that's come into a traditional kind of a plateau declining church, trying to enact some change and in, in, uh, uh, encountering a lot of criticism and resistance because of that. Uh, Brene's work around uh, empathy and shame and vulnerability, um, I incorporate in my preaching probably on nearly a weekly basis, uh, some sort of idea uh, that's connected with me from her work, I, I incorporate uh, somehow in what I'm doing. Um, you know, over the past year, I've been reading a lot of Scott McKnight. Um, I mentioned Blue Parakeet. Um, the King Jesus Gospel uh, is a is a really good one. And sort of his framework around salvation um, has been very, very helpful to me as a preacher. Um those are the ones that kind of how I'm going to, I'm going to jump right on that. How does, or how well have you been able to take the concepts of King Jesus gospel to your context? Um, I'm still working on that. We are not, uh, we are not a, um, a, I would say for lack of a better term, we're not a can, a really highly conservative evangelical culture here. So even though, I do have a subset of folks that are sort of all about the come to Jesus moment as being the starting point of salvation. I also have a a whole other slew of folks that that's just not been a part of their framework for Christianity. Um, 
So I don't, I don't have, to me, it doesn't seem like as big of a battle as it would be in some other churches I've served in. Um, I do hope uh, to do a, and I, I have not mapped this out, so it probably won't be until next year or something, but I do hope to do a, th- a thematic sermon series on um, salvation or the gospel or something like that. Yeah. Because Scott McKnight and N.T. Wright together have done some, I think, some really profound work for the church and particularly for preachers around, uh, you know, what what the gospel actually is from the biblical narrative. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, David, we'll, uh, we'll wind this down. I- I'm sure. impressed that your voice is held out. but Thanks. <laughs> uh, if somebody wants to learn more about just what you're doing and, and all that, Talk about like the website for Market Church. You're, I know you're on Twitter. I, I, I don't know. I know you blogged at one point. I don't know if you're blogging these days. But talk about any places people can find you online. Yeah, sure. Um, the church is markychurch.org. Um, and you can you can find my info there. You can email me from there and all that. I am on Twitter. It's at WDavidRice. Um, and I'm, I'm probably – at this point, more active on Facebook than Twitter, even though I, I am, uh, I do some things on Twitter. I don't blog right now. It's, it's, uh, it's one of my goals. Um, so at some point in the future, I'd like to be doing that, uh, again, but uh, it hasn't been a, a, one of my top priorities lately. Um, but yeah, t- I mean, Twitter is a super easy way to, to get a hold of me. Definitely. Yeah. Well, David, thanks so much. I appreciate you, uh, taking time out of, all of the other pieces maybe this is cutting into your sermon prep for this week. So thanks for taking time to join me. Yeah, I told I'll just, if, if you have this up, I'll just play this on Sunday and I'll just, <laughs> How about that? That I'll, good? I'll, I'll get it up by Sunday for you. Then. <laughs> I'm sure that'll be really interesting for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, I appreciate, I totally appreciate the invitation. Like I said earlier, like I, I still feel really, like a novice at all this. And so I've enjoyed the the episodes I've listened to. I've really enjoyed hearing people who have done this for, you know, 10, 20 years. Um, and I think the work that you're doing through the podcast is a gift uh, to people like me. So thanks for the invitation and thanks for doing it. Well, thanks. And I appreciate, but I appreciate, even as you say that, I appreciate you showing up because no matter where you're at at your stage, I feel like we all have things to learn from each other. So thanks. Yeah. I've been glad to have you. Thanks, John. Thanks again for listening. Got a whole bunch of interviews coming up, so we should be back on our bi-weekly schedule. Look for the next one within a few weeks. In the meantime, reviews on iTunes, always appreciated. And even if you don't listen to the podcast via iTunes, if you'll subscribe in iTunes, that's just another way that iTunes says, well, what podcasts are people listening to and interested in? Helpful way for us to help get the word out. Thanks again. Talk to you soon.